And we are live. Richard Gage, how you doing, my man? You cool? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Thanks, Jay. So, uh, cheers for coming on today. Obviously, for people that don't know who you are or uh, don't know sort of what you're about, explain, you know, what your what your story is, your background, and we'll sort of go from there. Sure. I'm an architect of 30 years, a member of the American Institute of Architects, and I founded Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth about 11 years ago now, uh, being quite concerned that uh, what I found out about in 2006 about the destruction of these three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11, uh, we have not been told the truth. Um, we have we have been told uh, uh, a whole pack of lies, and we now have 2,900 architects and engineers demanding a new investigation of what happened uh, to these skyscrapers, and uh, we're going to hear what their concerns are today, so I appreciate the opportunity, Jay. No, I mean, uh, massively appreciate, obviously I had Tony and uh, Mick on quite recently where they sort of debated their... Um, back and forths and their issues on on the subject um so it'd be obviously great to to hear yours should we uh start with world trade center seven because i think that's where a lot of the sort of new information is is coming from at the moment unless i'm incorrect sure be happy to do that um let me share my screen with you yeah that's cool. and um and we will uh talk yeah. about building seven here's um world trade center seven uh, you can see that now, Jay? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's up on the screen. Uh, great. And this is a 47-story skyscraper that was uh, easily the tallest building in most of our states. Uh, and it's only half the size of the Twin Towers. And most people, including most architects and engineers, know nothing about this, the third worst structural failure in modern history. This is completely outrageous because the American Institute of Architects and the American Society of Civil Engineers did not properly inform their hundreds of thousands of members collectively. The AIA never even put out a memo on Building 7. And yet we, uh, the architects, are the ones who are responsible for... Uh, specifying the fireproofing that goes into these buildings. And this building is said to, it wasn't hit by a plane. It is said to have come down by normal office fires. So this is really rather extraordinary. And here it is, you know, after the Twin Towers came down, Building 7 is standing. It had some uh, minor damage from the, 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 the building, the Twin Towers, the North Tower, when it came down. Um, and, but that is not a significant factor, according to NIST. In the, in the building's collapse. Because the building, the, the collapse of this building started on the other side of the building, the side we're facing here on the left. So here's the building. Let's just look at it come down. The East Penthouse falls first, six seconds prior to the overall building. Hardly any windows damaged underneath that fall. And then the whole building comes down in seven seconds and according to what a few small office fires and these are the largest office fires that we have photographed or video evidence of 
And these building these fires are the ones that are said to have caused that building to come down. Well, NIST took seven years fumbling this football. And what did they come up with? A theory of the initiation of their collapse. And so these long span beams that you see running across the screen here, 50 feet long, uh, pushed this girder off of its seat on this column, 79, and uh, then this floor, 13, fell on 12, 12 on 11, 11 on etc. for nine floors. And gutting the interior of the building vertically from bottom to top, and then this instability traveled to the right across the football field length of this, of this building in, in just uh, a, a dozen seconds or so. Uh, additional dozen seconds. So we're talking about maybe 30 seconds of instability here, none of which makes any sense. Now, I know that uh, last time you had on uh, Tony Zambodi and, and uh, Mick West, and they spent all of their time discussing this theory of initiation of collapse by NIST and the uh, the uh, the refutation of it um, uh, uh, by by Mick West and the, the in a nutshell though none of it can be true. Um, Tony mentioned that there's shear studs uh, that would keep that girder from sliding. That was uh, completely uh, omitted by NIST. There's also stiffeners that would keep that uh, flange from folding. So they went through all that. We won't go through all that again. Uh, it is just based on a theory of NIST's, for which they back up that theory with this computer model on the right. Compare it, though, to the actual uh, reality of the straight-down collapse on the left that we see here, starting with the East Penthouse, uh, which um, is, if, if there were... Uh, 400 structural steel connections failing every second, Jay, we'd see a massive uh, warping of the exterior perimeter structural steel system. We'd see a massive uh, breaking of granite panels and windows because you can see the, the caving in of the frame, the exterior frame uh, on, on the actual NIST animation. So that actually does show what would happen, but hey, in a natural collapse. But on the left, what we see is a straight-down symmetrical collapse without this warping, indicating something else entirely is going on that NIST uh, is not wanting us to know about. So they don't compare side-by-side uh, -side their computer animation with, with ours. Uh, and, and you can tell that that... Um, that uh, East Penthouse collapse is not connected uh, to the structural uh, failures below because you don't see light through the windows. You don't see the breakage of windows under that East Penthouse. Uh, so you, only for uh, the first floor there. So something else went on there that's uh, unrelated to the East Penthouse, excuse me, to the uh, column 79 uh, below. So that's all we'll say about that for now. Uh, we, we have no history of any high-rise fire before 9-11 that brought a high-rise down. So this is the first 
high rise in history. We have a hundred examples. Here's several of them right here. They burned, you know, three and a half hours or up to 17 hours as they burn from floor to floor. But even NIST acknowledges that we don't have fires burning in a given area in an office building for more than 20 minutes. That's all the fuel there is. The fire moves on looking for fresh new fuel sources. But these buildings are three hour and two hour fire protected with cementitious fireproofing. That's why the main reason why they don't come down. So uh, we still have, especially in Building 7, a modern, you know, it was built in the 80, 1986, uh, modern steel frame skyscraper. Well, let's take a look at uh, the footprint. It falls mostly into its footprint. So it is a symmetrical collapse. And so we had a 47-story skyscraper collapse to less than uh, uh, four or five stories. Now, this is a moment-resisting steel frame skyscraper. It should have been a huge pile, asymmetrical, 20 uh, stories tall. But this indicates that all those connections between the columns and beams, or most of them, have been cut. And uh, that's how it falls like a house of cards. Well, uh, maybe we're not quite convinced. Let's put it side-by-side side next to a controlled demolition. What do you think, Jay? We've got Building 7 on the left, a series of known controlled demolitions on the right. Is there any similarity? Yeah, I mean, you can see, you know, they're, they're pretty much identical in the way they fall. Um, you have steep. a sudden onset, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just to go back onto the point previously, obviously you showed the NIST model and uh, World Trade Center 7. They look completely different as well. And that already tells me like it's flawed do you know what i mean if it's not looking the same it's flawed so how can we believe it and you look at all these buildings they're they're falling you know they they look symmetrical if you ask me yeah it's and and then you have a a, a a virtually a free fall acceleration straight down to the path of what was the greatest resistance how can a building fall symmetrically with these few small scattered fires if it was going to collapse it would collapse to its weaker side right where the fires are in this case in the north uh northeast uh and we also have here uh how can those fires create this level of yeah there's a little bit of a delay when i've got it connected to skype here we go all all the core columns have to be taken out at once within a fraction of a second in order to facilitate this building's free fall symmetrical collapse now what we saw and i failed to point out is that the main penthouse house and the screen wall six seconds after the east penthouse collapses up there the entire main penthouse and screen wall fall uniformly symmetrically a half a second prior to this overall building's collapse well the only way that can happen is if all of these core columns are taken out at once within a fraction of a second of each other so the question is does fire have especially uh, these fires, have that level of precision <laughs> to take those columns out. I mean, come on, this is it right here. I mean, in a nutshell, there is no more discussion 
There's no more debating here. Uh, you have to take all those columns out at once. Fire doesn't work like that. And, and this says this building fell across the face of the building uh, slowly. Well, that completely invalidates what we saw. You see the main penthouse on the upper left here. Uh, that falls a half a second prior to the overall um, co collapse of this building. Now, this building came down how fast? Free fall acceleration. If you dropped a bowling ball off the top of this building, it would fall at free fall. And that's uh, because there's no resistance underneath the bowling ball, you know, save a minuscule amount of air. But this building fell that fast. What does that mean? That means that all those columns gave way, uh, must have been removed at once to facilitate the free fall acceleration. You can see the building gaining downward distance with every second. You can't argue against this point. You have to have all 80 columns removed and on at least eight floors, by the way. It's as if eight stories were all of a sudden removed because this building fell at free fall for at least a third of its seven-second fall. And that's that distance is eight stories. The rest of it was damn near free fall. So, I mean, it's accelerating. The steel, which is designed three to five times stronger than it ever needed to be, was completely giving absolutely no resistance. If What that means is that, you know, steel is... They, they design these structures incredibly robust. They're, they're, the columns take uh, buckling. Uh, they, they take, um, they, 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 they bend. That takes energy. That You can't be bending all of those 80 columns and also falling at free fall. The physics of it is you've got it one way or the other. It's going to fall slow and meet resistance and hesitate and begin to fall asymmetrically over if it's going to start any collapse at all. It can't just fall suddenly through all of those. So what happened to those columns? Well, there's many witnesses uh, talking about explosions. I'll just play one for me. Tell me if you can hear him. This is Kevin McPadden, former Air Force medic. Oops. I don't think the uh, audio will come have... through on the screen share. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. So he says, boom, you heard explosions, you know, like a rumble in the ground, like like I needed to grab onto something. I knew that was an explosion. So it's really uh, quite extraordinary, uh, the evidence as it stacks up, especially when we start talking about the the evidence of extreme heat that we have uh, in all three World Trade Center skyscrapers. In fact, go, go ahead. No, I mean, um, there was a lot of uh, sort of eyewitness reports saying there was like explosions and um, people saying that were near the towers when, you know, it felt like they got thrown across like the building almost and there was like power coming off, uh, like an explosive power coming off. You had firefighters saying, you know, 
there was explosions, there was those firefighters that were interviewed that were like, oh, it looked like a demolition, you know, boom, 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 as it come down. And, well, there's yeah. hundreds of them, actually, uh, and, and other witnesses all together. Uh, in fact, Graham McQueen documented 156 of these firefighters, and I can play some of those for you. It's it's extraordinary. They're, they're all talking about not sounds that might be explosions. They're using the words explosion. Many of them were inside the building being blown around inside the building. A lot of them heard pop, pop, pop uh, all the way around the building like firecracker. Uh, this is again and again and again. And guess what? Then they say, and, uh, and then the building came down. So it's not the building uh, dropping, creating these sounds. They heard like uh, many of them, huge rumbles under their feet. These first responders uh, shook the ground, shook cameras on tripods uh, three to ten seconds prior to the buildings coming down. And the seismic station in Palisades, New York, 34 kilometers north, picked up these seismic events. A 2.1 and a 2.3 earthquake is what it uh, amounted to. And these happened before the collapse of the building. And uh, then uh, NIST uh, says, well, that doesn't work with our timeline. So they privately contract with LDEO, Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, uh, in a contract in 2005. LDEO puts out a report that says, oh, no, these, these, uh, these, these came down. Uh, the seismic uh, events are actually three seconds later. We got it wrong. But they sure didn't get it wrong the first time when they wrote their original report. It is very clear uh, what's happened. And they will not release the revised report to the public. They just simply give revised times for those events with no explanation as to why they revised those times. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one because, uh, I mean, I spoke to my friend about sort of the the fishiness around 9-11 with um, things being released and not released and his answer is if it is the way it said it is then just release the, the fucking information like there shouldn't need to be um, any holding back on it or whatever for you know for the sake of even the families and the people that lost their lives that day it's like release the information so people can get yes. clarity Exactly, particularly related to Building 7, um, we have submitted a FOIA request, the Freedom of Information Act, because this is a federal agency. They can't withhold information from the public that's not a national security issue. And so they write back saying, oh, we can't give you the computer input data that you asked for from our black box, uh, which nobody can see inside of how they rigged this computer animation to collapse uh, because it might jeopardize public safety. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it jeopardize public safety to withhold that information from the architects and engineers who were tasked with ensuring the public safety when they design skyscrapers? So it, it, it literally makes no sense. I mean, what are your views on the um, the molten metal that was around, um, sort of the, you know, World Trade Center Seven and and the the uh, the other towers as well? Because um, well, it's 
I think Go Nick ahead. said something about it wasn't molten metal found, or I can't really remember his points, and I don't want to misquote him, but um, a lot of people kind of don't believe that molten metal was even around the area at the time. Oh, I I didn't realize that he was being uh, so. Um, take a look at this. This is absolutely extraordinary. I've got to go forward. Is there, I, may, I may I may be wrong. He may believe that there was molten metal there. I really can't remember what he said now. Um, well, it, it's absolutely that. extraordinary. Um, tell me if the sound comes through well for you on this because Massimo Mizuko documented this so carefully in his 9-11 New Pearl Harbor. You hearing okay? Uh, I can't hear anything through mine. What I'll do is you've got... Oh. Do you know where I can find this at all? Uh, I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Um, but uh, anybody can uh, look up on YouTube 9-11 uh, uh, New Pearl Harbor uh, uh, Massimo Mizuko. Yeah. And uh, it is, that's it, it, five hours of DVD. This is a, just a five minute uh, clip that um, I'll play you another time uh, or show you where it is. But uh, David Scott from Arab Associates says he saw red hot steel being pulled from deep within the pile, dripping with a molten steel, says this firefighter. Saw pools of literally molten steel, says president of the Tulloch construction cleanup company uh peter tully seeing the molten steel uncovering red hot metal beams ranging from molten metal still red hot weeks after the event molten steel at the heart of the towers remains streams of molten metal that leaked from the hot cores and flowed down metal dripping from a beam says that firefighter molten steel beams the end of the steel dripping the end of the beam dripping with molten steel uh, Mark Loiseau, another uh, cleanup uh, company uh, contract uh, vendor, uh, says uh, molten steel was encountered primarily during the excavation of the debris. We have videotape and still photos, photos of the molten steel being dipped out by the buckets of the excavators. A river of steel flowing. Who says this? Leslie Robertson, the structural engineer who designed the Twin Towers himself, seeing the molten steel. And in fact, his associate Richard Garlock also says the debris past the columns was red hot molten running. You, you can see it pouring out of the South Tower here minutes mm -hmm. prior to its collapse. It's red it's yellow and uh, white hot. Uh, these colors indicate the temperature of molten metal is over 2,500 degrees. And, of course, molten steel and molten iron don't even get molten until well over 2,800 degrees. It's melting point. So where is this material coming from? Well, it's not coming from the plains or lead. Uh, those don't produce molten uh, uh, colors uh, like you see. In fact, play, uh, aluminum is silvery in daylight conditions. It doesn't glow yellow or white hot like you see pouring out of the material held in the jaws of this crab claw excavator. Uh, nor does it melt um, uh, concrete. Concrete is, melts at over 3,200 degrees. How are we getting temperatures that they say in the police museum so intense that concrete melted like lava 
around everything in its path. I didn't even know concrete could melt. And the FEMA <laughs> author not. himself, yeah, really, I've never heard of that. Uh, steel members in the debris pile, he says, that appear to have been partly evaporated. This is not just melted. Uh, this is evaporated. That takes 4,000 degree temperatures. And that is documented in the World Trade Center and Building 1 and 2 uh, steel samples here by a structural engineer who had unlimited access to the landfill under a National Science Foundation grant, uh, Astani. Uh, structural engineer. He says, look, if you remember the Salvador Dali paintings with clocks that are kind of melted, it's like that. It doesn't happen until you get 2,000 degrees. And that's what um, is also documented uh, in uh, Massimo Mizuko's. Are you hearing anything here? No, no audio comes through from the video. Twisted and mangled steel, he says. They've never seen anything like this in their life. I mean, that's mad. Are you hearing anything now? No, nah, I can't get any audio through okay. the... Um, when you Skype screen share, it doesn't... Yeah, allow well, these audio. were straight beams. This is a six-inch thick uh, flange. It, it's bowed. What caused the incredible heat to... It takes thousands of degrees to bend steel like this. Not even a crack in it. Uh, so, this is... Really unexplainable in the, the official account of things. In fact, FEMA early on in 2002, May, put out their initial report. What was it? Two, 2004. I've, um, I've got to clarify that. But early on, um, a metallurgical examination of the steel. You know, what do they find? The steel is thinned to razor sharpness. It's got Swiss cheese like holes in it. A half-inch uh, steel member thinned to uh, zero thickness. What can cause that? A rapid oxidation, sulfidation, they say in this FEMA document. Liquid iron, that's molten iron, uh, and sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. And they have no explanation for the presence of sulfur, uh, save NIST's uh, explanation, uh, which um, is is uh, gypsum board, which is, of course has never attacked the steel that it's designed to protect from fire, uh, never before. And, and so the New York Times calls this the deepest mystery uncovered in the investigation, but not even a mention uh, of this sulfidation, this hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel. They say, well, it must be uh, inert. It must be uh, the gypsum board. Well, no, gypsum board's inert. It, it's calcium sulfate. It doesn't leach out and attack the steel. It doesn't happen. Uh, but there's been uh, people who have done experiments. Experimentation is the arbiter of competing hypotheses. And you've got uh, here's a here's a guy in his own backyard, a civil engineer, put gypsum board uh, on this steel beam and put 2,000 degree fires under it. No, no attack whatsoever. <laughs> well, where could it have come from? Well, sulfur is added to thermite to become thermate. It it burns. Uh, it creates. It burns through steel much more effectively. Thermite is a is an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. It produces 4,000 degree temperatures. And 
Here is John Gross himself who denied the pools of molten iron, the evidence of hot steel. He's actually cutting himself uh, the very piece of steel sent to FEMA which in which they documented this hot sulfur corrosion attack in their uh, lengthy Appendix C of their FEMA building performance assessment report that NIST threw out of the final report when they took over the investigation in 2002. And so they, they, we, we don't see that anymore. So this is not transparency. This is not an effort to get at the truth. This is an effort to hide the truth because none of these temperatures can be accounted for by the official story. Even jet fuel, uh, according to its manufacturer, burns only 600 degrees in open air. And yet we have temperatures exceeding 1,200 degrees uh, in these fires and actually up to uh, 2,750 degrees, at the, which is the point at which steel melts, and well beyond that to evaporate steel at 4,000 degrees. What can create those uh, temperatures? Well, thermite is 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 the answer and there's plenty of examples of of thermite uh, residue in the uh, dust found in the World Trade Center uh, Twin Towers uh, uh, area from river to river a four inch blanket of pulverized concrete which we also go into how do you pulverize uh, 90,000 tons of concrete in midair it's not it's not uh, it's not at the ground when when it's uh, the kinetic energy is developed and it crashes on the ground and breaks up no we can see and I'll show you in midair it's it's pulverized and the steel is distributed laterally over the entire width and length of the World Trade Center's site. It's not in a pile at the bottom, nor are there concrete floors piled up at the bottom. It's mad. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, you know, you can, I've seen the footage myself of, you know, the building just sort of turning to dust almost as it's kind of collapsing. And when you look at it, you think, what is making it disintegrate so much because i assume like I, I can't i don't know maybe you know more information than me on this but like the rubble at the bottom doesn't equate to the amount of rubble of the building and you're like well where did it all go <laughs> well um it's it, it, ninety thousand tons of concrete times two buildings uh, spread out over um three square miles is uh where all the concrete uh, seems to have gone because it's not stacked up at the bottom. Mm. And uh, a 100,000 tons of structural steel times two, 200,000, is spread out over the entire complex. So it's there. It's just spread out. And how did it get spread out? Look at this freely flying structural steel section weighing four tons. It's shot laterally out of this tower well gravity works down what is firing this freely flying structural steel section at 80 miles an hour clocked by physicists landing 600 feet and in every direction this is not the only one there's thousands of them 
but we isolated on this one because it's clearly uh, not accountable for, especially by the official story, especially when you see the trailing white smoke clouds. Where do they come from? Well, steel isn't flammable. It doesn't catch on fire. This is not a piece. This is not a desk. You know, and even if it were, it wouldn't be flying out, save high energy explosives, which could account for it. But why is this piece of steel, which is really what it is, um, uh, trailing thick white smoke clouds? Well, that's the evidence of thermite uh, burning uh, on it. And there's more evidence of thermite. And in fact, if there was thermite, uh, Stephen Jones, uh, physicist, nuclear physicist, formerly from Brigham Young University, says, hey, there'd be a signature. You'd have uh, common elements, uh, but unusual elements like fluorine and manganese left behind. You'd have these these elements here in a thermitic response. Well, somebody sent him a piece of steel from this uh, building, and uh, he does electron microprobe data, finds that it's predominantly iron. So it's not jet planes. Uh, right? It's not molten metal. It's not lead from batteries. It has abundant manganese, so it's not even structural steel. What is it? It's iron. It's liquid molten iron, the byproduct of thermite. Uh, and the other byproduct of thermite, uh, other than molten iron at 4,000 degrees, is aluminum oxide ash. It, it gives off an ash, which looks like that white smoke, which we just saw. Well, here he finds also aluminum, sulfur, potassium, uh, manganese, and fluorine in abundance. Manganese is used as an oxidizer in thermite. Um, Sol gel type thermite charges are, uh, uh, you, you, is, what, is where fluorine is found. So this is very clearly uh, a problem. In fact, uh, sol gels would use 1,3-diphenylpropane if they were used. And the EPA analysis <clears throat> themselves... In fact, uh, uh, Eric Schwartz says, one molecule was present at levels that dwarfed all others. 1,3-diphenylpropane. We've never observed it in any other sampling that we've ever done. Wow, that's extraordinary. Well, he says uh, it might be from computers, but they've never found any 1,3-diphenylpropane before. And there's been a lot of computers and a lot of fires. So there's other beams that have um, slag on the ends and these sculptures that are around the world. This one in Manitoba, Canada, and he does x-ray fluorescence, Stephen Jones, and finds that uh, this has uh, iron, sulfur, potassium, manganese, uh, these ingredients. Well, guess what those are? Those are the ingredients of thermite, particularly with the uh, uh, manganese, the uh, the aluminum and iron content here in addition to other stuff. Well, they say, you know, Mick West or somebody is going to say, uh, this, this, is, this comes from cutting at the site. Well, th- this, the iron workers use very effective oxyacetylene torches. They get very clean cuts like you see here, but this is a very jagged cut. You know, it's not mm-hmm. made by... The oxyacetylene torches they're using out there. Uh, this is not the fastest way from point A to point B. Is this a jigged, jagged note with the molten slag coming off and aluminum residue, incomplete chemical reaction of thermite is what you're seeing on these beams. And what, what are you seeing on this column? 
uh, which is still during operations, uh, rescue operations, well before uh, the the iron workers uh, start cutting the stuff down. 45-degree cuts with thick slag coming off of these beams. Now, that's not the oxyacetylene uh, signature. Something else is going on here and here, as you can see, all across uh, these columns during rescue operations. It's a real problem. Well, you can make thermite cutter charges in your backyard uh, like this civil engineer, John Cole, did. Uh, it cuts very cleanly uh, through uh, the... and the, and and. It, cleanly through the columns and producing what? Thinned to razor sharpness where you can cut a carrot on it just like FEMA found on the Appendix C uh, in the metallurgical examination that that is Appendix C in the BPAT report in 2002 which NIST threw out again when they took over the investigation. So you see how this evidence adds up to something very suspicious. In fact, they had thermite based apparatuses uh, uh, to cut through uh, steel, much thicker steel, in hundreds of milliseconds. This iron, uh, lum uh, molten iron is, pour is forced through. Uh, it's much more effective than high-energy explosives in um, traditional shaped cutter charges that they use in controlled demolition. Uh, it is, uh, in fact, if you wouldn't want to use that in, in a deceptive controlled demolition, which is what we're talking about here, uh, because you'd have the loud signature, uh, audio signature, the blast, uh, bangs, you'd have extremely loud bangs, uh, you'd have extremely bright flashes with um, high energy explosives too, so you wouldn't want that, so apparently they chose uh, thermite, in fact, there's devices, inventions that actually use consolidated thermite as the casing so there'd be nothing left behind except pools of molten iron which was found all over the place but in the dust the u.s geological survey themselves find something they didn't expect billions of molten iron spheres this is extraordinary they don't know where they came from they don't even speculate uh, there's billions of them they're about the size of a diameter of a hair, almost naked to the human eye, most of them, they're iron, they're not steel. So th this is elemental iron. R.J. Lee finds it, Brian Reynolds consultant. They says it's up to 10 tons of this stuff. And they say it was formed during the event, not before the event. There's up to 6% of these dust samples are composed of this unknown origin of molten iron microspheres 150 times the background level of of iron because you can have iron in dust little tiny particles on the left but they're not spheres and uh we're way talking about way more than that there's so many of these things that these spheres uh that they call it a signature component is not even world trade center dust unless it has these Spheres. Well, how do you get those spheres formed? Here's a thermite experiment. Just in this tiny uh, experiment here, you see thousands of sparks. What are those? They're molten iron spheres which cool and fall. And could that be what's responsible for the toasting of the tops of these cars? Does Mick West have another explanation 
for the incredible heat of falling liquid molten iron that uh, was heating up these clouds that the first responders that were, were running from. Does Mick West have an explanation for the red-gray chips that were found uh, up to 10 tons of these as well in seven samples, four documented in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal? They thought they were paint at first, but these team of eight scientists document them and, and research them, and they go into the red layer, and they find that the red layer is composed of what? Iron oxide and aluminum powder, the main ingredients of thermite. What is thermite ingredients, unignited thermite, doing in all the World Trade Center dust samples, uh, amounting up to 10 tons of unignited thermite? Well, they get real curious, zoom into the red layer 50,000 times with an electron microscope and find what? They find uh, iron oxide crystals at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair, and aluminum platelets. So here, the actual particles at the nanoscale set in a bed of organic material, oxygen, silica, carbon, all there indicating what? That this is a very sophisticated process because the laboratory results of this material called super thermite. This has been developed by Lawrence Livermore Laboratory and others, including some from NIST, uh, who, who were brought onto the NIST team uh, to guide the investigation. They put it in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, and it, it ignites at, um, at uh, uh, about 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And what does it produce when it ignites? Well, it produces iron spheres, and that's exactly what the four samples did. When they all ignited at uh, 750 Fahrenheit, and they produced the same spheres that the USGS and R.J. Lee documented so carefully in the World Trade Center dust, but couldn't figure out where they came from. Well, here's where they came from. There is no doubt it has the same chemical signature. They came from the nanothermite chips, as if we didn't know, Jay. I mean, because we have partially ignited red-gray chips with spheres attached to them, <laughs> as if there's any question about where these spheres came from. It's pretty extraordinary. I mean, this is a very sophisticated process because when you reduce the uh, nanothermite uh, particles of iron oxide and aluminum down to uh, the, the nanoscale, the surface area increases exponentially. So the chemical reaction is virtually instantaneous. So they've engineered an incendiary, which destroys by means of heat, uh, to uh, become more explosive which destroys uh, by means of uh, gas pressure. And so this material is made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. So we've got to have a real investigation that looks also at the people who made this material. In fact, the people involved in some of its creation, as I mentioned, were brought in to NIST to help guide the information experts in nanothermites. <laughs> yeah, let's... Let's look uh, there, and let's also look at the security company for an investigation which wasn't even interviewed by the FBI, uh, Securicom Stratasec, who had the security under whose noses of which would have been had to have brought uh, dozens of tons of 
high-tech nanothermite, and high-energy explosives. This is all documented in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal. It hasn't been uh, contested in the peer, with peer-reviewed submitted papers. That's the way you contest somebody's theory if you're not, if you don't like it. You, you, you go and you form your own uh, theory. And as to the heat of these fires uh, that, uh, that uh, Mick was saying, oh, these were very hot fires. Well, there's temperature analysis done on these fires. You can see by the thick black smoke that, that these fires are out before they even, they're not out. They're virtually out, especially in the South Tower. few lapping flames here. Um, these are oxygen-starved uh, cooler fires indicated by the thick black smoke. And you can see in the... Uh, the, the thermal imaging uh, video uh, that the temperatures are uh, uh, 200 degrees, uh, maybe 300 degrees. These are not hot fires. They're not going to be even causing problems in the steel, as NIST claims. This is a hot fire, by the way. World Trade Center 5, that by, that, that's a building that should have come down if any of these were to come down fully engulfed in fire. Did it collapse? No. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no. It, it, it just it, 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 there's no collapse. I mean, and these investigations are, are just ludicrous. Six hundred thousand uh, dollars. That that is uh, an order of magnitude less than it took to uh, discover what was on Monica Lewinsky's dress. Um, finally, uh, we have we have uh, what do FEMA say though the, the, the structural damage from the planes and the explosive ignition of jet fuel in themselves were not enough to bring down the towers says Bill Manning in response to this FEMA investigation which he called a half-baked farce that may already have been commandeered by political forces whose primary interest to put it mildly lie far afield of full disclosure and that is the the word also for NIST, uh, the NIST report, which actually got three years and $20 million worth of funding. And they produced a report, and they were tasked by Congress to determine how and why these buildings collapsed. But did they? No. Look at footnote 13 on page 82. What do we find? Their, their own personal objective, uh, which says the focus of the investigation was on the sequence of events from the instant of aircraft impact to the initiation of collapse. They stopped. It doesn't actually include the structural behavior of the tower after the, the conditions for collapse initiation were reached. Wait a minute. We've got 10,000 pages, 1,000 pages modeling airplanes, and 100 pages of fire modeling and safety, and only a half page on the actual collapse, which is what they were charged by Congress to do. Well, what do they say in that half page? The structure below the level of collapse initiation offered minimal resistance. The large building mass far exceeded the capacity of the intact structure below to absorb that. Came down essentially in free fall. This is not analysis, Jay. This is pure speculation. And they avoided it. It should have been called the final report on the initiation of collapse. This is not analysis whatsoever. They had to stop at the initiation of collapse. Why? Because after that, 
is where all of the hundreds of witnesses of explosions, the incredible freely flying structural steel sections, the squibs or isolated explosive ejections occurring 20, 40, 60 stories down below this zone of destruction, uh, the the pulverization of 90,000 tons of concrete in each building in mid-air before it ever falls and collapses. And by the way, if the concrete is pulverized and spread over three square miles, and the steel is delivered laterally, spread over the entire site, what is left to crush the building below? Not much. Office, desks, chairs. So you think about that. I mean, that's, that's really important stuff for all of us to think about. Well, 100 structural engineers who have signed the petition for AELM Truth have thought a lot about it. Ronald Brookman says it doesn't look anything like a heat-induced gravitational collapse mechanism. Why did the complete collapse of the Twin Towers become inevitable? As NIST claimed, why would all 110 stories drop straight down to the ground in 10 seconds, pulverizing the contents to dust and twisted steel? Fires were weak, says this fire protection engineer. NIST reports uh, they confirm the steel temperatures were low because they have no evidence that their steel temperatures, by the way, over 500 degrees or 600 degrees Fahrenheit, according to their metallographic paint analysis. The WTC collapses have no resemblance to any previous high-rise fire because no no, no high-rise has ever come down uh, by fire. Well, what happened to the steel? It was starting two weeks after 9-11 in the largest and most perplexing structural failure in history, three of them, the steel was taken away, put on barges, sent to China for recycling before investigators could properly investigate it. 400 truckloads a day were carted out of there. This is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene. And all of them are pointing at each other. The FEMA points to the city. The city points to the construction manager uh, and and so forth. And nobody can find out who was responsible. It was a, con- it was a congressional investigation about this. Bill Manning, the editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, says, Crucial evidence can answer many questions on the slow boat to China showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately, but it didn't. So which hypothesis has the evidence? You know, at this point, you've only seen maybe a third of our three presentations, uh, which are uh, part of our series, 9-11 and Architect's Guide, And so we just did a smattering across the body of evidence. But what we've seen is the 10 key characteristic features and some very uncharacteristic features of controlled demolition in the Twin Towers uh, and Building 7. And this is direct evidence of explosive destruction. Fire doesn't create any one of these features, uh, let alone all of them. I mean, fires cause less robust structures to collapse, but they do so asymmetrically with gradual deformations, and they follow the path of least resistance, not straight down through the path of greatest resistance. With additional circumstantial and corroborative uh, testimony or, or evidence, uh, we do have proof of controlled demolition. And uh, I, I hope... Uh, I hope Mick will take a look at this 
so that uh, he can have some real responses to some of the real issues that uh, not just 2,900 architects and engineers, but millions of those across the country uh, who are demanding a new investigation of these three towers uh, have brought forth. No, I agree, man, because the way I look at it is like someone's trying to cover up something when you're, you know, removing evidence early, um, shipping it to China, and, you know, the science is there based on everything you've showed me to, you know, say that something fucking fishy is going on, you know, and if, so, like, one plus one equals two, do you know what I mean, and when you've got NIST and everything... They're trying to make one plus one equal two, but it isn't happening. Do you know what I mean? If that if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you, yeah. They're, they're giving you a story, and you're like, well, you know that that doesn't work out. So why, you know, why are you wrong? You've had all this money, and yet you're not telling us what's going on. And then when people start digging and asking for information from them, you know, they say, oh, we can't do it because of public safety or whatever. And you think to yourself. Well, there's something fishy here then like what would you mean <laughs> so yeah it's a strange one i mean i watched the um that 9-11 the new pole harbor as well uh quite recently and i really recommend it to to anyone because i think it's a really good breakdown of the um commission report and sort of all the flaws in it and i did recommend it to uh mick as well who said that he's debunked some points from it etc etc but you know the information is definitely there and you guys are working yeah, hard to to put it out there and yet you still have people that want to maybe deny it or be like well that's not true and try and find an alternative route around it and then deny certain parts even though the evidence is you know right in your face yeah mick mick west has uh, is one of those uh rare people who for some reason, I, I don't know what his personal reason is, but he 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 sees the need to question uh, all of these conspiracy theories and and research the best, um, most common, uh, quip, fast answers uh, to try to put away the bodies of evidence that uh, that we've really only begun to touch on today but yet are still beefy and comprehensive so when we talk on the joe rogan show uh which is coming up uh we, we'll have three hours to go through these and you're what you're going to see is his quick answers falling apart in the face of thoroughly backed up uh data and uh, evidence uh, such as we've seen here, uh, if we have the opportunity to bring that out. Um, but what he'll do and what he did with you is jump around from thing to thing, giving a quick answer for everything that uh, is thrown. And by the time, um, w without any you know rebuttal from, from those of us who have had the time to really delve into these serious uh, uh, criminal uh, uh, efforts by NIST and others uh, to to hide the truth and to mask it over, and uh, 
I, I wish I could figure this out. I, I did debate Michael Shermer. That's available on YouTube. And on our website, um, we've had debates with physicist uh, Richard Muller from Berkeley and Dave Thomas uh, from New Mexico. And uh, we had uh, Niels Herod and I on Pacifica Radio Network. And uh, once again, you, you see them saying things like, well, of course the Twin Towers would come down at free fall. They're 90% air. No. They actually said this. Completely ignoring, you know, the 90,000 tons of structural steel that was three to five times stronger than it ever needed to be to hold that building up for the life of it, you know. And then you have NIST, who is thoroughly dependent upon a two, a four-page report, uh, a, a mathematical analysis by Zdenek Bazant out of Chicago Northwestern University that puts this paper forward two days after 9-11. Very complex math. Math that many structural engineers uh, can't even figure out because of the manipulated way he covered his tracks so that it wasn't transparent what he was actually doing. But in that mathematical model, he rigged the calculation four times greater uh, of the top part push in the case of the North Tower 15 story section above the point of jet plane impacts which uh, he says drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then destroyed itself well that's physically impossible the physics of it is is that the lightest part of a structure can't possibly destroy the heavier intact cold hard steel below it even with the dynamic load which Bazant completely faked because he completely ignored a whole 12 foot high story of this building in order to develop that dynamic load but in addition to that he rigged it four times stronger than it was and then he rigged the bottom part four times three times weaker than it was so you have a 12 to 1 rigging in favor of a collapse in his mathematical model which is completely debunked now in our uh, second part of 9-11 an architect's guide uh, uh, the Twin Towers explosive destruction all three parts are available on YouTube uh, to watch uh, for free because we do these weekly in our webinar series so this kind of expo and, and this this kind of exposure is extremely um, important and completely overlooked and uncommented on by people like Mick West who we need to understand uh, their motivation better because when they're completely exposed like this um, uh, they they fall apart <laughs> every time in, in every debate. That's why I'm looking forward to having the debate uh, with him on the Joe Rogan show, particularly. But uh, we can warm up uh, with you also. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he'll do it, frankly. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I spoke to him and he said he'd be interested in doing it. So hopefully, I can get that on here maybe before you go on the Joe Rogan show or after, and you can carry it on. Um, I mean, I like, obviously, I, I enjoy talking to Mick, and I think certain things he debunks quite well with, like, uh, chemtrails and 
and things like that. I think with the 9-11 side of things, it's very hard for me because I'm maybe not educated so much on, you know, the, the architectural side of it. But it kind of, I kind of get the impression sometimes it's present 10 points, 10 different points, and then one of them gets debunked and then that's it. Like, oh, you know, the other nine points were irrelevant that, you you know, you've just made. And so it's quite hard. But obviously, like I said, I, I enjoy uh, chatting to Mick because he does bring up some plausible points and maybe sometimes does debunk the debunker. But also when you start going into the science side of it and, you know, the things that really matter, I think you find that certain theories and certain explanations fall apart. Yeah, I, I do agree. Um, but I've I've really appreciated your time, man. It's been an hour and I've really enjoyed listening. Is there anything else you'd like to go over or are we okay for now? Well, I encourage everyone to not just hear this and be intrigued by this evidence, but follow up. Uh, watch all three of our series on YouTube, 9-11 and Architect's Guide, and take action. Send these these links to every architect and engineer that you can find. Every Everybody that you know, in fact, every citizen needs to know that we have had the wool pulled over our eyes with respect to 9-11. We've engaged in two major wars, which we're still in, the longest wars in history that we've been in. Uh, the the uh, loss of our civil liberties through the Patriot Act, the Military Commissions Act, the National Defense Authorization Act of 20, 2012, uh, in which any of us can be arrested. No right to a lawyer, a trial, a jury. We can be uh, tortured. We can even be assassinated. This is all legal uh, now as a result of these uh, executive orders and legislative issues. We, we, we're in a $4.5 trillion global war on terror, which we're told is never going to end. And draining the all over what? So what, st what started with what? What precipitated this incredible aftermath, 9-11, mm. particularly the, the attack on the Twin Towers. So this is the kernel uh, that will knock a lot of problems we're facing in our uh, country today. It's, it's got to be tackled, and everybody should be saddled with, by their conscience with doing something about exposing the truth about this. No, man, I, I I totally agree with you on that. And, you know, hopefully we can find the truth somewhere along, which I think, you know, you guys are doing great work in exposing everything that, that you could think of in these presentations. And they're, they're staying relevant as well. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, it's not information from 10 years ago, which is still, you know, preaching now. It's new new information and new things that have been found and new work so i think a lot of people do appreciate you know what's what's going on there and what you guys are, are putting through um so yeah I'll, I'll attach the video links as well that if you wanted to me to attach any that you wanted to show in the presentation i can attach them in the description below um, and also any links to sort of your website and anything that you want me to put in there if you're happy with that 
Yeah, you bet. And I'll send you a link to the Bobby McIlvain Act, which is a piece of legislation that calls for a new investigation of all three towers' destruction. Uh, Bobby uh, McIlvain was killed in the South Tower. His father, Bob, is is spearheading an effort to get Congress to investigate this. And so we're asking everybody to go to your congressperson locally and show them uh, the the packet that we have available for you uh, at ae911truth.org uh, for that purpose. Also, uh, people can, especially engineers, can uh, look at the uh, study, the World Trade Center 7 uh, Independent Finite Element Analysis that's being done by Professor Leroy Halsey at the University of Alaska, uh, which is a three-year a two-year, $300,000 effort uh, in which we've raised funds from thousands of supporters who care about getting to the truth. Well, the preliminary results are already out. Professor Halsey has said there's no way this building could have come down by fire because he modeled NIST's analysis, as you and Mick uh, discussed, and um, uh, their initiation of collapse. And uh, it's it's just bogus, six ways from Sunday. Well, that draft report is coming out within a month. So we're very excited uh, to have that in the arsenal as well. And people can learn more at WTC7Evaluation.org. Perfect, man. Well, I'll talk to you off camera anyways, um, just for two minutes, if that's okay with you. Um, Massively appreciate your time, and I'll put all the links below so people can follow. Thank you for coming on, man. You bet. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Jay.